0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول محمد وعلى آله وصحابه المعين أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم (تصفيق) يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء وقال تعالى وَإِذَا لَمَا أُودَتُ سُئِلَتْ بِأَيَّ ذَنْبٍ قُتِلَتْ وَقَالَ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ النِّسَاءُ شَقَائِقُ الرِّجَالِ My dear brothers and sisters, Alhamdulillah, I am very honored to be here in this masjid after Maghrib to talk about the contribution of the women in the field of the hadith, and that is my book. I have been talking about this topic in so many places around the world, uh, you know, in India and uh, uh, in uh, Malaysia, Turkey, even in this country, few times I've, I've been here. Uh, but actually, the first time I'm seeing that in the masjid, men and women both are listening together. You know, it is actually the way of the sunnah. And I think it is the bas- basically effort of your imam. You know, I don't want to pray so much in you know in front of him, Sheikh Imam Tahir, Mashallah, You know, his thinking and understanding of the uh, you know. Uh, uh, a Muslim woman that how you know men and women both should be together to learn and to teach, really amazing. I really am very much impressed by his thinking. Uh, so, uh, you know, in Islam, I will inshallah mention the history of, of Muslim women, how they have been very active everywhere in the world, in the masjids, in Madrasad, in the colleges, everywhere. And uh, from very beginning I have seen that, you know, in, in the mosque of the Prophet wasallam, in Haramani Sharifan, in Al-Masjid aqsa everywhere when women used to teach, and also, when they used to come for the prayer, actually, I never have seen anywhere in, in my in my book, uh, in, in in the history of those women, ever there I've seen any barrier or segregation between men and women. They, no doubt, they are pious pious people, you know, sitting you know separate from each other. But you know, this thing segregation and barrier where women cannot see the imam, they know, they don't know what's going on. This thing is something I never have seen in any any evidence for that in my book. And alhamdulillah I collected the biography of around 9,000 women just in the field of the Hadith. In our time, when the people, you know, you can see in really many parts of the world, there are so many questions about women. Can women come to the mosque? Can women learn from the men? Can men learn from the women? Can they teach each other? Can they, you know, learn from each other? There are so many questions going, going on. You know, I'm really, you know, so much, you know, because I myself didn't know, but when I did research, I realized that our history used to be different. Men and women both used to teach each other, each other, they used to learn from each other, they used to act in the same place, they used to command good and forbid evil in the same society. You know, you basically see a natural society. Completely natural society. When you see there are muftis among the men, there are also muftis among the women. Very, very natural society. And I mentioned to you like 9,000 women just in my book. But actually, the number used to be much, much greater. One of the great historians of Islam. Ibn Abdul Qadir, qadil Qureshi, who wrote on Hanfi Madhab, he said, in my part of Central Asia, whenever a fatwa comes from a house, fatwa is signed by a man, his wife, his daughters and his sisters. One man, so many women. And he says it all the time like that. No doubt in the Muslim world, people don't tell the names of the women, but actually the history has been so rich, we cannot imagine. So in my book, whatever I collected, it is basically very small part what used to be. And I'll give you a few examples. You can see how, how many women scholars used to be in Islam. One of the great teachers of hadith and the fiqh, Imam Muslim Ibn Ibrahim, Ibrahim al Farahidi, not famous Muslim who wrote Sahih Muslim. This is Imam Muslim Ibn Ibrahim al Farahidi, teacher of Imam Bukhari and teacher of Abu Daud from the city of Basra, you know, in, in, later, uh, in the late second century of Hijra. He, In his biography, everybody, every historian, and people who wrote biographies, they mention that he studied in the city of Basra alone with 70 women, just in one city. He said in the city of Basra alone he studied with 70 women, one person. Ibn Asakr al the great historian who wrote so many volumes on the history of Damask, he has written a biography of his teachers, men, men and women. He has mentioned that I studied with 80 women. 80 women, and he mentioned that their biography, I've collected them. Then Sam'ani, Ibn Hsasqalani, Ibn Taymiyah, Zahabi, Mizzi, Birzali, hundreds of the men, big Imam and leaders of the community, they studied with so many women. The highest number that I found for any individual to study with the women is Ibn al-Najjar. Ibn al-Najjar is from Baghdad, from the sixth century of Hijra, he wrote Zail al baghdad Imam Zahabi and many people say, You know, the number of the teachers with whom he studied are very, very huge. In one place, the Habib mentioned, the number of his teachers are 1,000 people from whom got Ijad and Asanid. And among those 1,400 are women. 400 women are among the teachers of Ibn najjar one person alone. Just think really, that how Islam used to be. That you know, just one person, Ibn najjar alone, studied with 400 women. You know, if one person in, in a time, can get 400 women, learned women around his city. Just think really what will be the number of the women all over the world in that time. The history basically is so amazing and you know, so rich we cannot imagine. And it is from the very beginning, from the time of the Prophet until very, very late. And you know, and the Prophet, the first one actually who encouraged women to come and learn in his masjid, in his public gathering, you know, in his house. And he also used to make a special session for the women. He used to encourage them so much in learning, and he used to say. لا تمنعوا إما الله, الله Don't stop the slaves, of, don't stop the women from coming to the mosque. He said don't stop them and now we say we stop them. Abdullah Umar a great companion, we narrated the hadith. One of his sons said to him, I'm going to stop my wife from going to the mosque. He said I will not talk with you all my life. I t- tell you the hadith and you say you're going to stop your wife. Just think how arrogant are the people. When they listen the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, and they say we are not going to follow follow the hadith. When the Quran has made obligatory on every believer that they must obey Allah and His Messenger, they must follow the Prophet. ﷺ. You know, this actually is you know, the amazing history. And I don't want to you know, you know, go detail about many, many numbers, but I tell you a few things which always actually are a problem for the people. One thing is what these women have been teaching, they're telling you in detail, inshallah, and what was the venue where they used to teach. In, a simple, in my book, the women used to teach in any place where the men teach. These women used to teach in their houses. They used to teach in every single Muslim, Muslim world where the learning hypers. They used to teach in all the major colleges of, of Iraq, of Sham, Syria, of Egypt, of Central Asia. All those colleges, there used to be men teachers and also women teachers. And sometimes for some books of the Hadith, you can see two teachers t- together, one, one man and one woman. They used to teach together, learning together, and the numbers actually are so huge, nobody can deny. And all these sources, they are available. Some of the printed, and some of the manuscripts which I have been you know, doing research in, in Syria and in Turkey, you know, everywhere. I'll just give a few examples that what are the menus that we, these women used to, you know, uh, use. Houses, everybody know. In Islam, there are three mosques. They are most sacred. The Prophet has said, three holy mosques the house of Allah's Hotel in Makkah al-Mukarramah, the mosque of the Prophet al-Masjid al-Aqsa in Jerusalem, as far as Bashir al is everybody knows, because the tawaf is happening here. There's no, no mixing of the women and men, as bigger as tawaf. You never can imagine. Even if you go on the beaches, anywhere you go, you never can find men and women are so much mixed and tawaf. Coming for the Ibadah, you can't do a tawaf unless you are pushed by a man or a woman. It's impossible. So that everybody can see with their own eyes. If people think, you know, the reason we don't allow the women to become mixing, why we allow the women in the tawaf? Is there any mixing bigger than the tawaf? But we allow that. So, you know, I'm not going to be, give example of Haram because Haram Mak, everybody knows. I'm coming to Al-Masjid aqsa and then in Masjid the al in Masjid aqsa because that is the earliest time we have seen actually the women are teaching there. One of the great experts of the hadith and the fiqh and a big teacher of Islam is Ummuddarda Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Ummuddarda, she is the wife of Abu Darda, and there used to be two Ummuddarda. One is Sahabiya, she died earlier, and one is Tabiya Ummuddarda Rahimahullah Ta'ala. darda she used to teach six months in Damashq. in the Jami'ah, in the Grand Mosque of she used to teach there six months. And six months she used to teach in Al Masjid Aqsa in Jerusalem. Six months here, six months there. And when she used to teach, among the people who attend, you know, most people who attend her class are men. And you can see their hadith in Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawood, Tirmidhi, Nasai, majah Maja, in all these books, men are narrating from who? From Umm Those men, they have no relation with her by blood. But they attend her class, they learn from her, and then narrate hadith on her behalf. And she was very, very active in teaching and also training people for piety. In her house, her students, men and women both, used to get together late night and praying long, long prayers. So, you know, she was well-known. Among the people who attended her class is the great Umanjad Caliph, Abdul Malik Ibn Marwan ta'ala. You know, before Abdul Malik Marwan, Muslims did not have their own uh, you know, currency, their own, you know, they can say, dinar dirham. First person who made Islamic dinar dirham is Abdul Malik Marwan. His empire was huge, from nearly Spain to India. Such a huge empire, very, very, very you know, you can see really, his, uh, in a great king of Islam, Abdul Malik Marwan. He used to attend the class of Umudarda in the mosque of Damask, in mosque of Banu He used to attend the class every day. You will think Abdul Malik Marwan may be not learned, to so attend the class. No, he was a learned person, still he used to attend the class of Umud Arda, taala. And I tell you one example how learned he was. He studied Hadith and the Fiqh in the city of the Prophet sallallahu sallam, with great Imam of Madinah, Medina, Saeed ibn Musayyab and he became so much known for the piety, Abdul Malik Marwan al-Faridnale, that when the last mufti of the city of Medina, Abdullah ibn Umar ibn al was dying, people came to Abdullah ibn Umar ibn al and said to him, "Ya Tafnadu, Faman Nas Alubadakum." Oh, old people of Quraysh, soon you're going to perish, soon you're going to die. After your death, who are you going to ask? So he said, "Inna ibn al Marwan has got a Jewish son, ask him, Abdul Malik Marwan. Abdul Malik Marwan used to attend the class of Umm in, in the mosque of ben Umayyah. And at the end of the class, he's a big man, he's Khalifa. He could ask anybody to look after Umm Darda. But he used to take Umm Darda with his own hand, holding her hand, and she used to lean on him, he used to take her to the Mosalla, to the rows of the women, because he's a He has to lead the prayer, he used to her lead her to the roles uh, to the of the women, and then he used to go and pray. Just think really how much respect there is for these women. Khalifa himself is serving and helping his teacher, female teacher. He could ask any celeb, but no, he's doing himself. This is really how you know the, the knowledge was, was in that time. And you know, no doubt, no doubt Abu Ta'ala, amazing women. So this example, and then she used to teach six months in al Al-Aqsa. And all the kids are coming and learning and there are so many stories from, from her, her students, how they learn from her, from her تعالى, and she also used to command good and forbid the evil. I'll mention a story from, you know, of a woman who used to teach in the mosque of the prophet teaching there. You know, I mentioned this in Azaytuna College as well, this story. There's a lady, her name is uh, Fatima bint Ibrahim al-Batayahiyya. She died in the year 711. You know, one of the great of his time, Abu Abdullah al-Hussain ibn al zabidi he came in the year 630 from Baghdad to Damascus, And he taught Sahih Bukhari twice in, in, in Damascus. One once in Jami' al in Qasiyun, and second time Jami' al twice. And many, many men and women, they learned Sahih Bukhari from him and their names are registered at the end of the Sahih Bukhari. When he died, then his students they became the most famous people in teaching Sahih Bukhari. I among them are many, many women, some men, inshallah, five times, I will mention, inshallah. One of the um, um, Fatima, Fatima al-Batayahiyya, she used to teach Sahih Bukhari in Damascus. And among the people who studied with her, Sahih Bukhari, is Imam Zahabi. People say in the city of Damascus, in that period, there are four leading muhaddithin: Ibn Taymiya, Abu al-Hajjaj al-Mizzi, al-Birzali, and Imam Zahabi. And Imam Zahabi is not only really Muhaddit expert of the Rajal and great historian of Islam. Imam Dhabi is the among the people who studied with Fatima al-Batayahiyya, Sahih Bukhari and other books of the Hadith. Among the her students also is Imam Subki, the one who, who wrote the great book of Islam, Avakatu al al-Kubara. When Fatima al-Batayahiyya went for Hajj, the so people who could not meet her in Damascus, it was a good time for them to study with her in Haramani Sharifan. She came to Madinah Munawwara and the judges and fuqaha and the learned people of Medina, they requested her if she can teach Sahih Bukhari and other books of the Hadith in the mosque of the Prophet ﷺ. And among the people who attended her class is Imam Abu Abdullah ibn al al-Sabati ta'ala, who co- came all the way from Sabata in Morocco to Madina Munawwara. And he has written his own account that I came to the mosque of the Prophet ﷺ, and Fatima batayahiyya she was teaching Hadith in the best place possible in the mosque ask anybody, everybody loved to be next to the grave of the Prophet Sallallahu When she was teaching hadith in the mosque of the Prophet Sallallahu she was teaching, sitting next to the grave of the Prophet Sallallahu Just think really, how much respect there is for women. Can I go and teach there? I cannot do that. This lady, she has got this place to teach, teach Sahih Bukhari, Rada Rukh Saad Hadiths next to the grave of uh, the Prophet Sallallahu And then he said, not opposite the feet of the Prophet Sallallahu rather opposite of the head of the Prophet And sometimes when she is tired, she used to lean on the wall of the grave. And at the end of the class, she would write certificate for every single person who attended the class with her own hand. Just think, now people think that women cannot attend, come to the mosque. Here is a lady, she is teaching in the mosque of the Prophet so early, there was no feminist movement, there was no influence of the West. It is purely Islamic history, pure Islamic period, 711, which basically will be like 14th 14th or 15th century of Christian era. There was no Renaissance, nothing. Nothing was happening in Europe. That is the time when she is teaching next to the grave of the Prophet, and people who are learning from her, they are great Fuqaha, jurists, and Imams, and leading people. And they have no problem with learning from her. And actually, this thing continued in Islam throughout the centuries. I mentioned one of the great muhadditha. Of Sham Aisha Bintu Ibn Abdul Hadi, she died in the year 812. 812 Aisha Bintu Ibn Abdul Hadi, great person of Islam, she was she used to have the last highest is not for Sahih Bukhari in the whole world. She was appointed to teach in the Grand Mosque of Umayya, Tahta Qubbat al Nasr. People who know Jami Banumija, there is a place which is underneath Qubbat al-Nasr. Nasr, that is the place where the highest teacher of the hadith is to sit and teach, teach. And for the Sahih Bukhari, they used to see in the whole country who is the best teacher for Sahih Bukhari. They would select that teacher and he'll be appointed get salary and will teach underneath of Qubbat nasr Among the women, only we have got one lady who has been appointed to teach under Qubbat nasr and that is Aisha bint ibn Abdul Hadi. She used to teach in Jami Banu Umayya, the greatest mosque of Syria under Qubbat nasr to teach Sahih Bukhari and other books of the hadith not only for women for men and women equally and she used to get salary every month and rulers don't, don't pay unless they have to pay it means you know they have no other choice except her and she was so popular the great expert of the hadith from syria and from egypt they came to her and learned from her in that period the two greatest expert of the hadith, one everybody knows, Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, the one who wrote Fatih the best commentary on Sahih Bukhari. Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani came from Egypt and studied with Aisha bint Ibn Abdul Hadi. Equal to him in Syria was Ibn Nasr al-Din al-Damashqi. These are the two top muhaddatin, both are students of Aisha bint Ibn Abdul Hadi. When Ibn Hajar came to, to, to study with her, he studied with her Sahih Bukhari and how many books? 70 books of Hadith. Seven zero seventy books of the hadith. In our time, you know, if you go to anywhere, in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, or anywhere, hardly you can find anybody to teach more than two, three books. There are people teach it. six books of the hadith or something like that, but not same teacher. Somebody will teach Bukhari and Tirmidhi, somebody this and this. But here is one person in Hazrat Askanani, he studied with Ayesha bint ibn hadi 70 books of hadith, one person, and there are many others who know from her. Ayesha bint al-Hadi, amazing person, amazing, amazing person. I want, I'll mention just one quality of her and then move to other examples. Her one thing is that she is the woman who made the Isnad of Sahih Bukhari in the whole world the highest possible. What we mean by that is, if somebody narrates a Hadith and between him and the Prophet there are five people. If the same person narrates another Hadith and between him and the person there are only three people, the second one is called High Isnad. Like when Bukhari Rahmullah in his book, he has got many, many Hadiths between him and the Prophet there are five people, six people, sometimes seven, sometimes even eight, and the, sometimes four, the highest Imam Bukhari has got between him and the Prophet three people. That we call Thulatiyyat al-Bukhari. So there are 22 Hadith Sahih Bukhari, where between Bukhari, Imam Bukhari and between the Prophet there are how many people? Only three people. The highest is not. In our time, if I narrate Sahih Bukhari from my teachers in other thulama, or from my teachers from whom I got in Deoband in Saharanpur, you know, in Saudi Arabia, in Morocco, in Syria, if I narrate Sahih Bukhari, between me and Imam Bukhari will be around 20 people, around 18 people. Imam Bukhari died in the year 256, and now it is 1,435, so more than 1,200 years. So it's normal to have 20 people between me and you. But through Aisha bin Tabul Hadi, we have got a Sanad, where between me and I, I Imam Bukhari, only. 14 people more than 1200 yes only 14 people because of Aisha Bint Ibn al-Hadi you never never can find any Sanad higher than that and you can count you know I narrate the whole Sahih Bukhari from Muhammad Ibn Abdul Razak al khatib who narrates from Abu Nasr al khatib and Abu Nasr narrates from Abdullah al Tali al-Shami and Abdullah al-Talli al-Shami narrates from Abdul Ghani al-Nabulusi and al-Nabulusi narrates from Najmuddin Muhammad al-Ghazi Najmuddin from Badruddin Muhammad al-Ghazi عبد الدين نرز فرام ابو الفتح المزي الاسكندري ان هي نرز فرام عائشه بنت ابن عبد ان شي فرام, فرام, فرام ابو العباس احمد ابن ابي طالب الحجار ان حجار فرام ابو عبد الله الحسن ابن مبارك الزبيدي ان الزبيدي نرز فرام ابو الوقت اجرا هو ابن عيسى الهروي السجزي ان سجزي نرز فرام السيد ابو الحسن الداودي ان داودي نرز فرام and Sarah Abu Abdullah, Muhammad ibn Yusuf ibn Matar al the last person who narrated Sahih Bukhari from Bukhari. So meaning is all those hadith Sahih Bukhari were between Ma'am Bukhari and the Prophets, and only three people, between me and between the Prophets, and become how many people? Just 18 people. You never can imagine any, it's not higher than that. If she had not been there, we would not have something like that. These women, how much favor they have done, we cannot imagine. And since I mentioned Sahih Bukhari, I mentioned one more thing about the women. All the people of the Hadith agree. You know, women have not only favor for Hadith. Actually, the copy of Sahih Bukhari, Quran that we read, it also based on the copy of women. Hafsah So I leave her that. Even actually in Islam, after the Quran, the most sound book is what? Sahih Bukhari. All the people of the Hadith agree. The most sound copy of Sahih Bukhari is the copy of a woman. Her name is Karima. Ibn Hatim Al She died in the year 463. Women from Central Asia travelling with her father to Damask and to other parts of the world, then settled in makat al Her copy of Sahih Bukhari became the most sound copy in the world. When a H. writes commentary, he always quotes her copy because that is the best copy, and most accurate, most sound. See how these women, they narrated Sahih Bukhari with such accuracy that even men could not keep that. And that's why people like Khatib al-Baghdadi, Big Muhaddith, Sam'ani, these people travelling from Damascus and from Baghdad, they're coming and learn from her. And Sam'ani said, no man has seen any, anyone better than Karim al Marwaziya." Sometimes he says, have I seen someone like Karim al Marwaziya?" And he used to call her Al-Hafidhah, the great expert of the Hadith, Karim al Marwaziya. Why her copy becomes so important? Karim al-Marwaziyyah was because in you know, bookshops were everywhere. If you want to study Sahih Bukhar, you can buy a copy from anywhere and, and read. Karima Marwaziya never allowed her students to buy a book from shops and study with them. No. She never had any trust in, in book shops. Her condition was, if you want to learn from her, you have to make copy from her own copy. And now you make copy from her own copy, many, many days. Once you finish, then you come to learn from her, she would not allow. She will, because there are mistakes, she would say, no, now compare your copy with my copy. Now you compare with her word by word, letter by letter, once she has approved and she finds that you are fine, then after that she would allow you to read with her. Just think really, you know this accuracy, can you find anywhere else? That why her copy became so important. These women if they have not done this, tell me even Sahih Bukhari which is most sound of work of Islam, could we have got that? Even Sahih Bukhari, for Sahih Bukhari Muslims depend on the women. Muslims depend on the women for the most accurate copy of Sahih Bukhari. Muslim de- Muslims depend on the women for the highest is not of Sahih Bukhari. If you want the highest is not Sahih Bukhari, throw a woman. If you want to have most accurate of, uh, copy of Sahih Bukhari, a woman. And then these women are not only teaching Sahih Bukhari, Muslim, Abu Dawud, Tirmidhi, Nasai, al-Majah. They are teaching those works of Hadith, which now have become rare. And they are only alive because of this. Because Hadith has got thousands of the books. Among the, among the important works of Hadith also is known, Ma'ajim al-Tabarani the Imam Tabarani who was born in the year 260 and died in the year 360. He wrote many, many things. Among them are three Ma'ajim. Al-Mu'ajim al Saghir, two volumes. Al-Mu'ajim al-Ausat more than ten volumes. Al-Mu'ajim al-Kabir which actually people don't have the full one but whatever is published is 25 volumes. Even these Mahajim, men don't, men, men did not narrate them. After Tabarani the best person narrating the Ma'ajimah Salasa is Ibn And in, I died in the year 360, Ibn narrates rahim. After Ibn this, this work in the world only was kept alive because of a woman. Her name is Fatima Al-Juzdaniya. She died in the year 524. She used to live in a small tiny village outside Isfahan. We don't know this tiny village because of her, of her teaching. Muslims from everywhere in the world, Damask, Baghdad, Central Asia, even China, they used to come and learn from her in this tiny village. You know, this teaches 25 volumes, and not only one day, every day, and many other books, of, I'm just mentioning this one, many, many other works, And because of her, her effort, this work remain alive. And actually then from her also, the person who narrated the whole work is another woman. Her name is Fatima bin Saad al khair Fatima bin Saad al Khair is from, from Spain, her father from Spain and her father was a businessman, she was grown up in China. When she was 4 or 5 years old, her father took her from China to this tiny village of Fahan where she could hear ha- all these f- uh, 25 volumes of Moajam al-Kabir, Al-Moajam al 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 and many other works from Fatma juzaniya Then she came back to Baghdad, when she became t- 12 years old. Then she said, now I start myself thinking, I can learn myself. Then she came back again to Juzdan and she studied the whole thing again with Fatima Juzdan second time. When she became 18 years, 20 years old, now she can understand and discuss with her teacher. She came third time to learn with Fatima Juzdaniya. the whole of these 25 values, or more than 10 values and many, many other words, three times. She became so famous in the world that in Baghdad, in Damascus, in Mecca, in Medina, everywhere people used to invite her to teach. And because of her famous and her, her, her knowledge, in the great, one of the great ministers of Abbasid court in Baghdad, he married her. Now she became so rich, so now she, at that is the time when Hadith science was dying in Egypt. People, people in Egypt have, have no relation with, with science of Hadith. People requested her, she came to, to Egypt and people of the Hadith said because of her coming, now the Hadith science again became alive in Egypt. And then you can see Mahiras Khanani. Fatima Bint Al Khair comes to Egypt, she teaches Hadith in every single center, and then people start learning. Other than before her, people have forgotten hadith in Egypt. And then because of her, in the 7th century, eighth century, big, big people come in Egypt, like Iraqi, then Iraqi student al Khanani. Then you can see Sahavi and Suyuti. All these people only became muhaddith because the lady Fatima bin Khair, she brought Hadith from from Damascus or from Baghdad to Egypt. And that's why the science of hadith actually again became you know, alive. Actually, I mentioned another woman, she also actually had a big favor uh, uh, for uh, the people of Egypt. Because I mentioned, when Azabidi uh, came to Damascus, among many, many women who learned uh, Sahih Bukhari from her, another woman, her name is Situr Wazara wazira bint al Famous teacher of Sahih Bukhari in Damascus. And people of Damascus, people of Egypt, did not have such high sana for Sahih Bukhari. Then the kings of Egypt, rulers of Egypt, they requested her, if you can come to Egypt, teach there as well, because not everybody can travel to Damascus. She came there and people of the Hadith say she taught Sahih Bukhari in really every single palace of the the kings, every single palace of the ministers, in every college of Egypt and also every mosque of Egypt. She will teach full time and her copy was one of the best copies of Sahih Bukhari and it's still preserved in one of the libraries of Turkey. And I've got, you know, it's copy, you know, photocopy uh, myself. I've given, actually, the first page of that copy in my book, Amazing Woman. Teaching all day and night. And the people of the Hadith say, Imam Zahabi actually writes, uh, that she was teaching Sahih Bukhari even the day she died. And when she died, how old she was? 90-year-old. A 90-year-old lady teaching Sahih Bukhari from morning to evening. And she died while teaching Sahih Bukhari. Now we say women should not learn, if she have not learned, how could they have learned from them? Just think really. That how much favor they have done. This really remains, you know, throughout the century in Islam. Everywhere. And sometimes numbers of the book that did actually not only, I mentioned like 70 books. I mentioned other, uh, I don't want to very long, because, you know, you can have many questions, inshallah. I mention a few more examples, and then inshallah finish. One of the great of uh, eight centuries, Zainab bintul Kamal al-Maqdasiya. She died in the year 740 of Hijra. Ibn al Skalani narrates Sunan Abid Dawood from his teachers from Zainab bin Turqamar. Zainab bin Turqamar lived around 89 years of life. Amazing woman in Islam. She used to teach in her house. She used to teach in every single big madrasa and masjid of Damascus, Jami Muzaffari Jami Ibn and Al Madrasa Al Umariya, all the madrasa. She also used to teach in the Khanqah of Damascus, Sufi Khanqah. Sufi khanqa usually don't have hadith, but it's her, because her famous, fame, they invited her and she used to teach hadith in the Sufi khanqas. She used to have a house outside mosque for retreat. The, she used to go there for retreat, even there students used to follow her. And most of them male students. And some, sometimes she used to have classes in the public park. In the public open area, she's teaching there and people are surrounding her. Amazing. And then, and then when she's teaching at home, just imagine w- 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 what it means. A lady teaching in her home, and people are learning from her from morning till evening. And 100, 200 men in, the, in the whole house is full. Tell me, they need to go to the toilet. They need to have water. And all the burden on who? On her teacher. she's is teaching. Her house being used, and they from morning till evening. That's why one of her important students, Imam Zahavi said, saburatan." She was very, very patient. Had she not been patient, she could not have teach. And this is not the only thing I want to try to say. Then Imam Zahabi said, The number of the books of Hadith that Zainab bin Kamal has taught, how much is the number? Of, the number is Lord of a Kaimel. The number of the books of the Hadith that Zainab bin Kamal has been teaching is Lord of a Kaimel. Then I went in the sources to find out the name of those books that she has been teaching it actually the number of got more than 400 titles more than 400 titles of the hadith books of hadith she has been teaching and the numbers of the students will be amazing because in you know, one tradition have been islam is that at the class they would write the name of the teacher the name of venue where the teaching happening the date the books of the hadith being taught and also all the people who attended the class so, it's all at the end of the book. The amazing thing, these records are amazing. You know, one of the famous records of the Sama'at is Sunan al-Baihaq al Kubra. If you read the Sama, there also they write down, so-and-so attended the class. But from this hadith to this hadith, he was sleeping. Even that is there. Now, if you teach that hadith, people will know you are sleeping there. From this hadith, there was this lady with her child. From this hadith to this hadith, her child started crying and she left her, took her outside to, you know, to, to make her to be quiet, she missed this this side to have this, every single detail of the summer is mentioned. Those are the documents actually helped me to find out the numbers of the people attending the class. In some classes of the Zanabitra Kamal, I counted the n- number, They are more than 400 students in the class. No speaker, nothing. She is pe- teaching herself, more than 400 people and most of them are who, men, more than 300 men and maybe around 100 women that teach. You know, when people say that men cannot learn from the women, women cannot learn from, You know, just seriously. you know, I don't have one example. I have 9,000 9, women, 9,000 women in my book. This actually case everywhere and nobody questions. Nobody actually have any problem with, with this or all, all that thing. They actually record that and people who are recording the whole thing. They are muhaddatin. They are pious people. They are expert of the hadith. In the time, you have people like that. One of them, a lady of in the time, 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 her name is Fatima bint abbas al-Baghdadiya. She used to come and study with the Ibn Taymiyyah Taymiyya is an amazing person. You, know, you can see really his knowledge you know, in his mind. You know, when he was in Egypt, he himself write. You know, after Zohar prayer, somebody came and exaggerated about Greek logic and philosophy. Ibn Taymiyyah said, I always used to know that it is stupid anyway. So, I started writing a refutation of the whole Greek logic between Zohar and Asaf prayer. And then he added something later on. al is an amazing work of Ibn Taymiyya. He wrote between Zohar and Asaf prayer. This is Ibn Taymiyya, who does not need a library. He said, when, when Fatima Abbas baghdadiya comes to learn from me, I prepare for her. She's so into, her questions are so amazing, he prepares for her. She to come. And Fatima Abbas al-Baghdadiya, you know, she used to give sermon in the Jami of the for from where? From the member, for the pulpit. for the member, she used to give sermon. I don't say that she was leading prayer, but she used to give speeches for the member of the, the majid. and the people used to attend the, her sermons. And then one of her students, Ibn Kathir, who is a great historian, Ibn Kathir said that this lady woman, Fatima bint al-Abbas al Baghdadiyya, she did so much reform in Damascus and also in Egypt that men are unable to do. She did so much reform that men are unable to do. And men of her time are who? Ibn Taymiyyah, Mizzi, Birzali, Zahabi, Subki. They are the great people of, 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 of that time. These people couldn't do what she had done. And the reforms did actually amazing theory. In that time, some Sufis, they used to have so much mixing of the men and women and boys and so many evils which happened in, in, in their halaqa. She is the woman who came and reformed and make very clear that people cannot make the boys coming to the class because are so many cases. She is the woman who really reformed the society of Dimashq and, 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 and Qahira. And actually, it's not, you, know, you can go and read it, this account in Tarikh Ibn Kathir. She was the biggest reform of time. She did what the men are unable to do. And then I a measure, this is, you know, tradition continues all the time really. And you know, men and women, everybody learning. You know, I'll give you, for example, how even actually the men used to learn from their wives. In our time, it is, if people cannot imagine the wives can be more learned than them and she can teach. You know, one of my friends in, 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 in England, he asked me if I can find a wife for, her, for him. I asked what is the condition. So he said my condition is, you know, at least, you know, my wife should, should not be more learned than me. I said, why? If she is more learned, you can learn from her. He said, no, because then I feel inferior to her. You know, just think, thing really is different. You know, in Islam, it's not like that case. People, when their wives used to be more learned, they used to learn from them. There's no inferiority. In Hesham, you know, Hesham in world, was aware, great muhaddith, tabi, teacher of Abu Abu Malik. He, is everybody narrates hadith from him. His hadith are Muatta, Bukhari, Muslim, everywhere. But he himself is true of who? His own wife, Fatal al-Mundir. So many hadith narrated from her. And it is mentioned in Bukhari everywhere, you can't see you know, Hasham, and Fatima, hasham and Fatima, so many hadiths. So i two stories that how many used to learn from their wives. One story is of the great Imam of, of, of Medina, Imam Saeed Ibn Musayyab According to many people, Imam Shafi'i, and many people, he is the best among all the tabi'een. Died in there 94. Sa'id Musayyab had his daughter, very learned. And Abdul Malik Marwan wanted his, his sons who were princes who became later on Khulafa in Walid Ibn Abdul Malik and Suleiman and Hasham and Yazid. He wanted them to get married with Fatima, daughter of Sayyid. Uh, uh, Sajjab. But Sajid refused to marry his daughter to any king of priest. One of the students of Sayyid said, I disappeared from the class for a few days and I came. So Sajid asked me, where have you been? So I said, my, my, my wife died and I was busy with her funeral. So that I couldn't come to the class. Sajid said to me, do you want to marry? I said, yeah, I want to marry, but who's going to marry with me? I'm so, so poor. So Sajid said, no, I'm going to marry my daughter to you. Which I couldn't believe because Saeed's daughter had been, proposed, you know, by, by the kings and ministers and now he's asking me and then he immediately brought his daughter and married with me. And I came to my house, I was fasting and time of Maghrib came, I was about to break the fast with dry bread. I didn't have anything in my house, just dry bread. When I was about to, you know, break the fast, there's somebody knocked the door. I asked who? Said Saeed. My mind went to every Saeed Madina Medina other than Saeed Mosayyab. Because Sayyid Musajab never has been seen except in the mosque of the Prophet and his house. People say for 40, 40 years, Said never missed even first takbir in the mosque of the Prophet. But when I opened the door, it was Said holding the hand of his, his daughter and saying to me, I did not like you to spend your, your your night without your wife. And then he pushed her inside inside the house and she, out of shyness, she fell down. And then he left. Said left. But before I could help her to get up, I rushed in my house to hide my poverty. I did not want my wife to see that I'm breaking fast with dry bread. So I hid my bread so she could not see. And then I came and helped her and brought her inside the house. Now I'm in a big trouble because everybody knows my wife has died. Nobody knows that I got married. because this was in the class. Now if my neighbor see a lady in my house, it will be a big problem in Muslim society. Pure Muslim society, what I can do? Then I climbed on the roof of my house and I shouted very loudly, oh, people, I got married. And then, my mother, my mother, she ran came from, running from her house. She said Haram on upon you, if you touch your wife, unless I adorn her and beautify her, I, the Quraysh, do with the bride. Then, for a few days, I was not allowed to touch my wife, because my mother was beautifying her and all those things. Then, after that, I was allowed to come near to her and spend night with her. In the morning, I had bathed and put on my clothes and cloak to leave the house. She asked me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to learn from your father, because he's my teacher. She said, take off your clothes and sit. And I took off my clothes and sat. and then she taught me, by Allah, I never have seen a teacher better than her. And then he said, I learned from her. And the last story I mentioned actually, Hanafi Madha, because many, many Hanafi people, they, you know, they make you know, so many questions about this thing. One of the great books in Hanafi Madha with Tuhfat al by Alauddin Samarkandi. Alauddin Samarkandi, daughter Fatima Samarqandiya. She was great expert of the hadith and the fiqh, and also she knew the whole of by heart. You can memorize hadith it's easy, Quran, but fiqh, but she knew. Uh, you know, has got a student, Kasani. Kasani came and learned from him. When Kasani finished his study, Kasani asked Alauddin Samarqandi if he could marry with his daughter. Samarqandi said, "No, you can't marry my daughter. She's so learned, and you are not so learned. If you want to marry her, write a commentary on my book. If I can approve your commentary, then I can marry you." Then Kasani wrote a commentary on, on Tofut Fokaha, and its name is U Usanaye. Actually, I used to think that it's the best book in Hanafi Madhab, and then actually I got support for Amorna Gangohi, Rahmullah Gangohi. He also written the best work of Hanafi Madhab is Badaya Usanaye. Kasani wrote Badaya Usanaye. So you can see that now we Muslims hate women, and because of these women, we got the best work of Hanafi Madhab. This best of Hanafi Madhab was only written to marry women. And then, you know, he wrote it and his teacher saw the work. So, you know, he married his daughter with him. He said, yeah, your commentary is fine, I marry. The so people of the, of the history said that He wrote commentary on his tohfa and married his daughter. And then after that, Kasani became famous and the ruler of, of Halab Aleppo invited him to teach the big madrasa college of Halab. He came there with his wife, and Fatima. And Fatima used to teach the women, and Fatima was a very, very rich woman and very, uh, very generous. So in the month of Ramadan, she used to arrange an iftar party for all the ulama and folk of, of Halab, free. They used to come and eat, eat with her. She was so learned that one of the students of Qasani said, Ibn Adim al-Halabi, that Qasani used to teach in the in, in the college of Halab, uh, and sometimes used to discuss, you know, to discuss, to wish to, to, to discuss with him, sometimes Qasani would have no answer. So then he would ask, ask, okay, wait for a moment. He'd go and bring answer. Few times happened. Then we realize he goes to his wife and asks her and then brings answer. The person who wrote the best work of Hanfi Madhan had the wife and knew the fact more than him. I think really. And this happened in tradition continuously until very late. And I'll tell you the final story that how a lady, women actually, these women have been so keen for, you know, in the, you know, the hadith said, men have lied so much in hadith, but then no single woman, Whoever has lied in any hadith. There are hundreds of the men fabricating hadith, lying in the hadith, no single woman. These women actually used to love the hadith, but you do If you teach that hadith, which is relevant to that son, these women also kept alive those hadiths, which is not for them. So one of the last muhadis of Medina was Amatullah bin Abdul Rani at Dehlaviyah. Her father, from Delhi. They moved from, from, from Delhi to Madim Amat Amatullah grew up there and Shittari hadith and all and all books. Among her students, many, many people used to come learn from her. You know, from Mola came from, from, from Pakistan. People from Morocco came to learn from everybody, from everywhere. Ahmed Al Ghomari and everybody used to come and study with her. Among them is Fadani. Fadani mentioned, when I came with a group of ulema to learn from her, so she taught at Bukhari everything and gave a jada. In Hadith, there is something we call Musalsalat. Salat. Musa Salat are those hadith which you narrate with certain action. Like Musa Salat, you shake hand and then teacher will teach hadith because he has got the same way from his teacher going back to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa So there is one hadith we say, al-mousalsal biqabdillahiya hadith which is holding the beard. So I got this from my teacher, he got from his teacher going back to the Prophet al alayhi wa sallam. al you only can imagine from the men, not from the women. But Fadani said among the hadith that Amatullah Dehlawiya taught us is also al-mousalsal biqabdillahiya. She came to us and then she held her hand, put her hand on her beard and then she taught and the place of the beard. She had no beard and the place of the beard. I love this hadith because you know I got a Mosas Bak Abdullah Faram in a Senad where then one one woman. It is amazing, amazing Isad. Just think how these women are. And she's from well-known family. Her father Ghani Dehlavi, is the greatest muhaddith of that time. You know, all the people of in, in big people, Mauna Kasila Notwi, Maula Gangohi, all these people they got hadith Dehlavi. And you know, and his hadith is spread everywhere. from Morocco, Hafaz, Wahid Kattani, Katani come and learn Abdulhir Katani said, you know, when I narrate hadith from my father Abdul-Kabir Katani, and he from Dhani Delvi, He from Muhammad Hakat Delvi, and I sah from Abdul-Aziz Delvi, and Abdul Aziz from Waliullah Delvi, it is to me I, I kun and na fine and so high sanar. So just really, you know, it's just a brief survey because you know we don't have you know, enough time to follow every single thing. Just learn really that how these women have been doing. I'm that I'm trying to say Qur'an says, why the maudatus B I Dam bin Kotel. Those women who have been buried alive, in the Day of Judgment, Allah will ask the women why people killed you. I tell people, okay, if you don't kill the women, but if you kill their talent, don't let them to learn. These women could become like Fatima, Fatima Samarkandi, they could become like Khadija, they could become like Aisha. But we people, because of our traditional culture, we don't allow them to learn, don't allow them to teach, don't allow them to you know, spend their time with the teachers. Tell me, aren't we killing them? Is human being only by, 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 by flesh or by body, don't people have mind, don't people need to have their hearts. If these women, we, we stop them from learning and teaching, aren't we killing them? In the day of judgment, certainly, men will be questioned, why didn't you allow the women to learn? Actually, if you provide space, they don't learn, then it is their fault. But if you stop them from learning, it is not their fault, it is men's fault. So, if you kill a woman, you will be questioned. Similarly, if you kill the talent of a woman, and a woman who could learn, you don't allow her to learn, on the day of judgment, certainly you will question. So I stop here, inshallah, and if you have any questions, please ask. So I know I did research in all the sources you know, in Arabic, in Persian, in all those, those sources. Actually, my book, which I wrote all in Arabic, you know, more than 40 volumes. Then the, I wrote a muqaddimah, introduction for the whole series in, in Arabic as well, more than f- around 700 pages. Then I summarized the into English you know around 300 pages basically what is available in english it is summary of the introduction in english in, in, in arabic in arabic is very very huge very big so you know so in once it is published in arabic language my intention inshallah is if i cannot translate the whole work at least i will select 200 women you know big women and, and, and write about them in english inshallah but at the moment certainly i don't have other than this you know introduction in english al you can find online inshallah you know after tenth century hijra means after 16th 17th, from 17th century christian era women actually declined very very you know I, you know the thing really is that the reason i have been really looking what i found in my book is whenever philosophy rational sciences become strong among muslims then women become less and less in the society because greek philosophy aristotle used to teach women are inferior to the men he used so much in this he said even in the birth of the child Women play no role. Women are only vessels and the containers, men play a role. He used to say women are so inferior that why they have less teeth than the men. Fewer teeth than the men. Read actually in his books. Historians of philosophy they are shocked that this man, great philosopher, great thinker, he has two wives. Aristotle has two wives. He could easily count the teeth. Teeth are the women, teeth are the men same. But he writes the women have less teeth than the men. And Greek philosophy, when it influenced really, it always made the women inferior. Women cannot learn nothing. You know, that's why in my book, I have got women from every sect of Islam, hawari Shia, I got Murjia, Qadriya, everybody, women are in learning. But no single woman from the family of philosophers. No single woman from the family of Mu'ata'ala. They never, never allowed women to learn. And whenever philosophy becomes stronger, and when I was teaching this thing in one of the universities in, in, in England, and there was a Christian lady, she was a priest. She stood up. she said, you are right. Same thing happened in Christianity. When philosophy, a Greek philosophy became stronger, women were actually thought to be very, very low, inferior. And what happened in later centuries in Madrasa curriculum, philosophy became very dominant. So somebody who becomes Musti, he is also a philosopher. So they always think in mind that women are only meant to be in the kitchen, look after the family, cooking, and all those things. They never thought women also can learn and teach. So that I I found part. Whenever philosophy is stronger, then women become pushed behind. And when hadith comes, uh, you know, you can see women, like in India, for a long time I have didn't have many women learners. But Waliullah Dehlavi, he leaves in India, comes to Hajjaz, studies Hadith, comes back, again the women are learning the Hadith and the fact and discuss. even philosophy. Then once they start learn, they learn everything. They start learning. So whenever Hadith comes, because the Prophet reminded people about the rights of the women, so they learn. But whenever philosophy becomes stronger, women are pushed behind because the philosophers used to believe women are inferior to the men. Yeah, you know, in Islam, no doubt, men can say salaam to the women. Women can do say, say salaam to the men, and they can answer back. But why Islam does not allowed. Actually, when the desire comes there. For example, if somebody a man says salam to woman, and the purpose of salaam, is to make friendship and desire. That's very bad. So somebody asked Imam Malik, Imam Malik can a man, a man say salaam to woman? He says, yeah, ammal mutajallatu As far the women who are older, no harm to say salam. As for those women whose words are more sweet, sweeter than honey, they don't say salam. Meaning, if your desire comes, they don't say salam. But if you are, you know, basically, if you treat women as human beings, then you can say salam. But if you treat, treat them as women, opposed to gender, basically, enjoyment, the certain Islam does not want enjoyment. Islam wants it. when men and women they meet, meet in public, they meet, meet as human being, as the salat of Allah. Not as male and female. You know, think really, this is a thing again, misunderstanding. In my research, I never found anywhere in any public place, in the masjid or the madrasa, the school or college, any curtain, any hijab, any segregation between men and women. People don't understand exactly what used to happen is women have got two coverings one covering for the, for the prayer and for home, from their, from their head to their feet, except their palm, face and palms and the feet. When women are inside the house, they remain in that. When they leave the house, they put on jilbab, and they are not allowed to apply any perfume in public. Not covering the face, it never has been obligatory. So when a woman inside the house, Islam cannot obligate, make obligatory on the women to put jilbab, otherwise punishment. She goes outside jilbab, inside the house jilbab, inside the house she will have no jilbab. So she's there. Now if the men come and learn from the women, and they want to do anything, talk with the women, men have to observe hijab. Oran says, if the men come to the house and they ask anything, men should make sure they are from the behind. Because women are in their normal clothes. They are not in jilbab. And women's clothes, they are attractive. So that's why, you know, it is obligatory. But when a woman comes in public place, she is coming, you know, full covering jilbab. And she, you know, so there's no need for any segregation. This is so obvious from the time of Prophet until any time. In the mosque of the Prophet men used to stand then the children and then the women. Women used to be so close that women complain to the Prophet sallam, that when the men go inside, the some men don't have proper clothing. So our eyes fall on the private parts of the men. What should we do? So the Prophet Wasallam what he arrange? You know, if it have been a question our time, we have got a solution. Okay, made a barrier so their eyes cannot fall. But you no, know, if you make a barrier, women don't know what happening. And he does that mistake. But the Prophet our way always like that. We solve a, solve a problem by creating new problem. But the Prophet never done like that. What he said? He said it's simple. When you go inside the remain inside the until the men have stood up, your eyes don't fall. See, so he, he did not make any segregation. Similar young companion who was not adult. He narrates that my tribe was in a way where the companions used to pass, and my tribe was not Muslim. But I was very much interested in the Qur'an, so I used to learn many, many Qur'an from those people, even before I became Muslim. When my tribe became Muslim, then the Prophet asked my tribe people, among you who knows the Qur'an most. So people said, this boy knows Qur'an the most. So the Prophet said, okay, make him Imam. When he became Imam, he, you know, like you know, any poor family, you know, is the Imam, but he doesn't have enough clothes. So when he goes to inside the you know, his part of the body, a private part is to be uncovered. So he said, the women said to the tribe people, anna awrata imamekum, cover for us the private part of your imam. Women are so close, even they can see the private part of the imam, not, not followers, the imam himself. So now you see again, they are natural people, they are normal society, they don't want to make it a problem. No, simple thing, since the women's, uh, women's eye can fall on the men's, uh, on the imam's private part, simple solution is cover imam, not women. We people make a solution by making barrier. No, what they did? They bought you know new clothes for him. So young boy, you know for a poor family, gets a new clothes. How happy will be? He said after Islam, I never have been so happy. I buy him a new clothes. Simple okay. thing, Simple solution. When the problem happens, solve the problem. Not like our people. I tell you a story, which is an amazing story in the book of Hadith. How they used to solve the problem. The story is in part of the story in Sahih Bukhari and other books of the Hadith. Young companions come to the Prophet ﷺ and say, I was in my shop and I saw a young lady, young girl and I kissed her, what should I do? The Prophet ﷺ turned his face like that, then he came from this side, he turned his face like that, then he came from this side, the Prophet did not answer him. Then the time came for the prayer and the Prophet ﷺ went for the prayer and the man also went. After the, after the prayer, the Prophet ﷺ asked, where is the man who asked this question? He said, here I am. The Prophet said, didn't you pray behind me? He said, yeah, I pray behind you. So the Prophet said, don't you know, good deeds, they remove the bad deeds, your sins are forgiven. He became so happy, he said, oh another messenger, is it only for me or for everybody? He said, no, it is for everybody. Simple solution, you know, people will do mistake, we don't expect people to be perfect, but we want to, not, don't want to you know, make barriers. I tell the people, if this story had happened in Karachi or islamabad uh, in New Delhi, first thing would have burned many, many cars. Then, after that, you know, in all the shafts. And then, we would have said, now see, when women come to the shafts, what happened? Now, women are not allowed to come to the market. No protest in Medina, no march, no burning of the cars, nothing. Simple solution come for the prayer, your sense of argument. Can you find any solution better than that? Just think really how the Prophet is. We people really don't want to learn. That one of the great Mujaddid of Islam, Ibn Jawzi, ta'ala, he writes in his one of commentary of commentary, Sahih Bukhari, he says, in our time, in the mosques, there are so much mixing between men and women. Sometimes evil happens. You know, when women come to the mosque, no doubt they can come, but, you know, little separately, and they pray properly, like you are sitting here, this nice, it's nice. But in those days, somehow, there are more mixing. They say evil happening in, in the mosque. So people said to Ibn Jawzi, why don't you stop the women from coming to the mosque? He said, no. Keeping the women ignorant is worse than this mixing. They know this thing. If women don't come to the mosque, they will, how can they learn? And if they remain jahil, ignorant, what will happen? You know, think properly, really. use your mind properly. We need, you know, had not been these women learned, we never would have Abu Hanifa, Malik, Shafi'i, Ahmed Hanbar, and Bukhari. All these five people, they have been raised only by their mothers. Abu Hanifa's father did not play any role in Abu Hanifa's imama. Imam Malik and Shafi and Hambal only had been raised by their own mothers. Bukhari's father died. His mother is the one who looked after him and took him to, to Makkah Al-Mukarramah and made him to learn Hadith. All these five Imams, Abu Hanifa, Malik, Shafi', and Hanbal and Bukhari, they only became learned because of their mothers, not because of their fathers. So think really, if we don't teach the women, who is going to raise the children? The men are outside the house. The women are the ones who looks after them. If they cannot educate, they are not learned. How can they educate? really it is obligatory upon us to understand this thing properly. Oh, okay. Yeah, now can really far, like I said, like, like, last two, three hundred years, scholarship has become dying. But now, alhamdulillah, a revival is coming again. In now Syria is in big trouble, but when I came to Syria, visit Syria in 2006, I really I was amazed. I met my teacher, Sheikh and under his supervision, there are many, many women They are learning hadith. And that's more than 30 women, they were not only learning hadith, they learned the whole Sahih Bukhari by heart. You know, if you learn Qur'an by heart, it's easy, Qur'an has style. But Sahih Bukhari doesn't does have any style because the Hadiths are not the words of Allah, even they're not words of Prophet they're human words. And the not chain of narration names. They have no context. These 30 women, they learn whole Sahih Bukhari by heart. Is there any man in the world who knows Sahih Bukhari by heart? 30 women know Sahih Bukhari by heart. We don't. We don't any single man who knows Sahih Bukhari by heart. Then one of those ladies, her name is Samar Al-Asha, Seen Mimra Samar Al-Asha. She wrote a book in two volumes. And the book's name is how it, teaching people how to memorize Sahibukhari. Bukhari. She wrote, she wrote two volumes to teach people how to memorize Sahi Bukhari. And the book has got introduction by Sheikh Al-Fatab Guddha, Awama, Nuruddin Azra, many, many people. The so two volume work, how to memorize Sahibukhari. Bukhari. Even after that book, no man has been able to memorize the Bukhari. She made it easier, but still we don't know. So, you know, these are women learning, but, uh, but in Syria so, so much trouble happening. Well, alhamdulillah, the knowledge coming uh, alone uh, again, alhamdulillah. But, you know, we have to make effort, really. Everybody, you know, these women, and I've seen in my class, sometimes they, they do much, much better than, than men. If they get actually opportunity, they can learn. But, it, it, us, we don't make an effort. So alhamdulillah, you've got this masjid, such a big place. You know, make effort. That you, know, alhamdulillah, you are a career anyway, but also make effort that women can get the same education of Arabic language, of the Quran, and Hadith, and Tafsir, and the Fiqh as the men. So they become you know, like the men. And inshallah, they will change you know, the world. But we need, first, they have to learn. First, we have to teach them. So it is very, very important that men provide the same space for the women as they are keen to provide for the, for the men. Which women? All those women. No, they the I am thinking that these women used to sit in the masjid, the madrasa. That time was not like our time. It was open. Women can go and learn anywhere. They used to travel. They used to move from one place to another place. They used to come to the class. They used to discuss and argue. They used to debate. You know, they used to agree. They used to disagree. They used to do all those things. They were in for proper education. They are learning. They, you know, they follow madhab. They leave madhab. All the discussion, arguments. Sometimes they used to interfere in the court. If a judge makes a decision, judgment. You know, you know, a, a woman lady, she, she feels it uh, is not right to come to Islam. She will come and interfere and she will correct, you know, that's how they have been doing. You know, basically it was normal society. Men are learning, women are learning, they're teaching everybody, they're discussing and arguing. Everywhere, the women could learn in the mosque, they could learn in Madrasas in colleges, everywhere they should learn. In our time, it has become difficult, but in that time, anywhere you go, you find the class of men and women both. Not only women, men are in the class and women in the class, both are there at the same time. Oh, yeah, you know, but, you know my on Muhaddathat, but certainly many of the Muhaddathat, they are faqihah. They used to give fatwa, you know, and they acknowledge, they wrote books, you know, and like Umudarda, I mentioned, you know, Umudarda Ta'ala, she used to pray like the men. In Hanifim, madam, there's something where women pray differently from the men. But Umudarda's opinion was, women will sit in the prayer same like men. And Imam Bukhari Rahman Allah Ta'ala, his opinion like Umudarda. So he said, Ummuddarda used to sit in the prayer like, like a man, and then he said, "Wakannat Ummuddarda ifaqiha tan, and she was a faqiha jurist. They took a fatwa Ummuddarda, Aamirah bin to rahman you know, Hafsah bin to Sireen, Fatima bin to Munzir, Fatima bin to Dhaak. You know, many many women they look like Fatima Smergandiya. They to fatwa, they used to defy, they used to agree, they should teach everything. You know, I, I'm not saying the number used to be as huge as men." But certainly we can understand because men have more space, more more opportunity anyway. Women actually, women are not, even in those days, women did not have same the same encouragement as the men. But still, there are you know there is a big number of the women who learn the fiqh and you know and teach and they discuss and they give fatwa, I'm mean, saying they used to give fatwa. From the houses, fatwa used to come signed by the women. You know, madhahab is named after after that women certainly anyway. must um, they used to give fatwa, they used to differ, they used to disagree. But school did not build upon them because it's not in school anyway, schools were only came for another purpose. But others, yeah, they used to give fatwa. You know, if I mention their opinions, if people cannot imagine how they used to differ. In those issues, if, in our time, if anybody said, people will say his kafir. Those women used to give fatwa. And men used to accept them and they could not make it. We don't have much time to spend, but certainly the women used to give fatwa and ishtihal. They used to make their opinion independent from the people. Ayesha, Latana, there are a few things where she actually disagrees with everybody. She's alone. Fatima, Fatima, her fatwa in some things, they're completely different from all the men. Umar khattab everybody she differs. So they used to think and the people used to respect them. So certainly they used to think. Mm-hmm. You know, as I mentioned to you, I could, because, my book I studied all the in all the mazahib, actually, what women need to cover is everything other than the face, other than the palm, and other than the feet. And when they go out, they put on a big cloak, big chadar, like, you know, you have Punjabi women, they have chadar, something like that. That's all they need. But not necessarily, you know, niqab not, nobody has said, no Abu Hanifa, no Malik, no Shafi, no Muhammad. Hanbal. What niqab actually people don't understand. Niqab used to be Arab culture before Islam. Arab people, because of their climate, men, Used to also cover their face, and women also used to cover their face. If man, a man covers the face, they're called nithaam. The men who cover their face, they're called so mulathamun. And if a woman covers the face, she's called muntaqiba. You know, it's niqab. So niqab and they were Arab culture. So when Islam came, the Prophet did not interfere with the culture. If people want to have niqab, he didn't mind. But it's not that he encouraged. You know, there is a story when the Prophet got married to his wife Safiya, so she came and the Prophet made her to, to stay in one of the house of Ansar. So some wives of the Prophet they got somehow news, Safiya is so beautiful. So now they felt jealousy. So they want to know how beautiful she is. So they ask Aisha if you can go and see her. But Aisha doesn't want to go. If she goes, the Prophet will recognize her. That's why you have come. What she did? She put on niqab. And then she came to the house of the Prophet when he was with wife Safiya. And other women also come to look Safiya. So when Aisha came in niqab, the Prophet said to her, Ya Aisha, Ma lake muntaqibatan. Aisha, why you You see, niqab was not normal. And the person recognized her with her eyes. And then after that, the person took her out and asked her, how did you find my new wife? So because, you know, the jealousy is there. She said, no, nothing different. It's like any... So, you know, the person became quiet. So, you can see niqab was not part of, you know, cult, you know, in Islam. But certainly, Islam, you know, if somebody does, a find... Why of the Prohersana, when they used to go outside, they used to go like normal, you know, but if any man passes by, then Aisha says we used to cover our face by part of the clothes like that, so they can, cannot look, but otherwise normally people didn't have niqab. Yeah, some of them, not everyone, some of them, yeah, if I do, people do nobody minds, but don't make it obligatory. If somebody has niqab, that's fine, if somebody doesn't have niqab, fine, up to them.